This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Here's the scenario. You've been injured in a serious accident. The doctor says your recovery could take months, maybe even years, yet your insurance company is denying your claim every step of the way. If something like this happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. We have offices in Toronto, London, Peterborough, and now Kitchener-Waterloo. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Reaction Podcast. I am your host, Samson Folk. Yes, that's right. Joining you a little bit later than you might have expected, but with a guest. That's right. Lewis Satsman joining me on the Raptors Reaction Podcast for, I believe, the first time since we in Toronto in my Airbnb were passing a microphone back and forth and running down the game where the Raptors played the Oklahoma City Thunder. We watched it together in a pub. Lewis gave me the directions. He thought it was a certain pub. It was a different one. We rolled up and watched the game anyway. Had a hell of a time. It was the first time we met in person. And the Raptors won the championship later that year. Now here we are. Lewis, how the hell are you? What a different world, eh? Not just the Raptors, I mean what a different Raptors team, but just what a different world we live in now. All this to say I'm doing great because I'm here with you, pal. Great to be back after a multi-year absence on the React pod. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that's true. The difference between what the world was doing at that point in time and all the different stuff going on now is kind of crazy. And everyone says we're getting so much closer to that where it's over and it just it's like you know when you reach for something in water like something falls into your drink and you're trying to pin it against the side but it always skirts away the last pickle in the pickle jar certainly yes uh pickle fans stand up the last pickle in the pickle jar it seems like the raptors a are not able to grasp that pickle if that pickle is a win and haven't been able to do so for some time and the world is uh, the pickle is slipping away, it seems. So I'm going to continue that metaphor because anything is better than talking about the basketball we just saw. (laughs) And I have a method for the last pickle in the pickle jar. I use a serrated knife and I try for the quick stab like like a harpooning. And if you get it the first time, I mean, it comes out right easy. But if not, you kind of just dice up your pickle all to hell. Like you just shred it by stabbing it over and over again. And that's kind of what the Raptors are doing right now. Like when they're playing defense and they're trying to win the game with like one rotation, it's like they're trying to stab the pickle on that first attempt. 
when they miss, they're just they're fouling shooters. They're opening up driving lanes like four feet wide. They're everything is just dicing that pickle to shreds. So would it be accurate to say that at the trade deadline we might expect diced pickles to be traded in for crackers and cheese, perhaps? Yeah, I think the pickle jar is going to be swapped out for a different type of food. That's and, and, you know, I am on the side that it doesn't need to happen or it didn't need to happen. Um, I didn't think the Raptors had clear benefits to making trades. But with the way the situation stands now, uh, I just don't think standing pat feels like an option. They're they're in a tough position. And through some fault of their own, to what degree? I mean, who knows? But the I think the basketball world, the people who are close to the situation, the people who are peering from far away look at it and say, that's unfortunate. Really what has happened with the Raptors this year is a shame because there has been this, they've cultivate, cultivated this reputation as one of the truly great franchises, how they handle themselves, how they build out the team. And this year, the luck, if there was any, not only has it run out, but it's been completely inverted and is running uh, incongruent to any type of good feelings or good messaging or whatever the hell else. And so looking at a Raptors team that lost to Houston tonight, what do you have off the top of your head outside of Jay Sean Tate, who I'm sure we'll talk to, or sorry, not talk to, we'll talk about, but you wrote about the Houston Rockets defense. Did you find it affecting for the same reasons that made you want to write about it earlier this year? So I, I think what I liked about the Rockets when I wrote about them is that they were a blank slate after the Harden trade for the first time in so long. I mean, when you spend, and the Raptors are in a similar situation now, although on the flip side, it's not a positive, but but when you spend years with one singular focus and, and change comes in around the edges and the Rockets were really, and I know you and I are, were both fans, revolutionizing the way offense was played. They ended up losing that revolution, but it doesn't change the fact that they tried. Uh, and when you spend so long with such laser focus to step back as the Raptors are stepping back involuntarily right now, and the Rockets voluntarily by trading Harden, is uh, a, a culture shock in a way. It, it is very bizarre to see the world through those new fresh eyes and for the rockets that meant they could be anything maybe rather than an isolation team that traded away its only center so they couldn't play pick and roll maybe now they could be a pick and roll team with john wall and christian wood maybe they could be a defensive team with jay sean tate just being an absolute menace you know they could be anything that blank slate and i think after so long of coming up short, that has to be refreshing in a sense. 20 losses in a row is not refreshing. But you saw tonight how overjoyed those guys were, just thrilled about this win from the coach on down to the players. And, uh, and that is significant to see. Would it, you'll, you'll have to let me know since this is, and I, I do mean this, right up your alley. If Hard, the Harden Rockets were maybe the city-state of Paris, 
and Luca, Trey, and the Blazers finally turning to heliocentrism with uh, Damian Lillard, perhaps the revolution, it, it, uh, it keeps churning onwards. Wow, that is. So for those not in the know, Samson is just a wonderful friend, and I have a master's degree in history, and so being a wonderful friend, he asked to read it, my 100-plus page thesis, which is about how the Paris Commune, a revolution in the 1870s, was extended through into the Russian Revolution of 1917. So yes, in that case, Trey Young is the Bolsheviks. I love that metaphor. Thank you very much. Okay, <laughs> we'll get into, I suppose, the actual reaction. So the Raptors in this game, let's start offense, the thing that has been plaguing them for some time now. And, you know, the defense has as well, but I think the defense over these past few games has actually performed a little bit better than the offense in some ways, especially when you consider, you know, they lean towards that naturally when they don't have transition going you look at the on-roster talent and you say this team can probably defend a little bit better. But offensively, the Rockets, what do you make of their defense? Do you think that they were able to push the Raptors into uncomfortable positions? Because the Raptors, you look at the end of this game, they do not score the ball well. They don't even eclipse 100. And this has been something that's been happening a little bit more often as of late. What did the Rockets do to make these Raptors uncomfortable tonight? As much as I love the Rockets, I actually think it was more self-inflicted. And you mm. probably have more specific, you know, strategic stuff. But there were so many possessions where Siakam, you know, got a paint touch, drew extra bodies, sometimes a triple team, and just didn't make the play. I mean, you can you can credit John Wall for blocking Pascal Siakam in a post-up. But really, Siakam shouldn't be trying to shoot a push shot over a triple team like uh, I, I really do think Toronto just got frantic, got lost in their own demise. Yeah, I agree with that. There's a sense of malaise. And this is something we've talked about on the weekly podcast when I've had you on, is that Siakam is a guy who does things in bunches. And a lot of players do, but a lot of superstars find the mix or are so overwhelmingly powerful in bunches. And I think lately Siakam has been getting by the skin of his teeth in these bunches. He finds a little bit of success and that fuels him going forward. And he got to the room a little bit early on against these Rockets, but the Rockets adjusted. They started pinching in. They started, you know, sending the double from the baseline sometimes or sending it from the top down other times. And Pascal was late on how he observed that. And yeah, a guy who has shown so much growth as a passer, not only as a downhill guy, not only as a grab and go guy, but a guy who knows how to manipulate out of the post. I think it was a little disappointing. And you know he's capable of it. You just maybe assume that he is at the end of his leash, at the end of his road, whatever the term is, that he's kind of looking at the Raptors right now and saying like, wow, we're really here. This is what's happening. And not to get too much into the armchair psychology, but it seems like he and a lot of the rest of the team, they have that sense of malaise. And even a guy like Fred Van Vliet, whose whole career is just fueled by intensity, attention to detail. And Pascal Siakam has his own story where he comes up as well. But he also has, I would say, significant physical gifts that Fred Van Vliet doesn't. And even Freddie, as active as he is, it just seems like it's a little bit of a notch lower. 
And I think a lot of that actually is about the roster beyond those guys. So, mm-hmm. you know, to make it an allegory, <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing that, but Aaron Baines took two shots. The first one was a beautiful Kyle, you know, fake shot to a, to a dish right below the rim and Baines just flubbed an uncontested dunk. The second one, that was the end of the first quarter, I think. The second shot he took was in the second quarter and Kyle had a very similar play. The fake shot was from closer in. Less fake shot, just a really nice, you know, pick and roll pass to Baines. And he made the dunk. And the fact that Kyle trusted him with that pass is almost astounding because Baines' hands in the five minutes, the six minutes he played, he was really failing to catch the ball with vigor. And Kyle trusted him with that second pass. Uh, I did not see Siakam. I did not see Powell. Uh, Van Fleet a little bit now and then, but but less so as well. I didn't see them trusting their teammates. Uh, Johnson, you know, zero points for Stan. Boucher had only four. That's tough. That's tough when your your energy guys, your bench guys, give you nothing. And uh, and the you could see the main guys lost trust in them. Yeah, when I look at this team, they're clearly at their best when they're able to operate as that three pronged attack, where Siakam, Van Vliet, and Lowry all have a a great sense of interplay. But mm-hmm. tonight, the Rockets maybe not through so much of what they did, as you said earlier on, self inflicted for the Raptors. The interplay just isn't really there. Siakam and Van Vliet less likely to connect in the half court than ever during this stretch. And yes, during transition, the the options are a lot more apparent and Fred finds himself open. Maybe he'll get a pass from Pascal, but it's just the motion. It's a little bit more, what would the term be, bogged down. Kyle Lowry, at, he, if he's the head of the snake, if he's bringing the ball up the floor, he's pointing. He's telling guys which lanes to fill. And that's not something he should even be doing. And you could see the Raptors when they're at their best. Lowry isn't jogging the ball up the floor. It's a hit-ahead pass because guys have already spread the floor out vertically. And yeah. there's a guy who's ready to take the ball at half court, if that's Fred, if that's Pascal, or one of them streaking above the break of the, or sorry, below the break of the three-point line to get to catch a pass or something like that. And when we look at the team now, it's that malaise. It's that they don't get into their sets as fast. They don't on the back end of sets. Like you have to run a lot of stuff in the NBA because if you just run something on the strong side of the floor with the ball, NBA defenses will snuff it out. They've seen a lot of different permutations of how it works. They're going to do that. That's why the horn set that they ran and Kyle Lowry had that dribble handoff triple. That's great. But they also had, I believe, a UCLA. UCLA cut from Lowry to come all the way back around. You have to preoccupy the back end of the defense. Otherwise, they can just key in on everything. And the attention to detail for the Raptors, I think, is just at an all-time low. And I don't blame them, really. Like, you're supposed to come out and play hard. You're supposed to do your thing. I get it. But I I don't envy them. I've said this before. I envy everything about being you know, a professional athlete. Like, you have all these gifts. You're one of the most talented people in the world at your certain thing. And on top of that, you make a ton of money. And But what they have to go through, like sacrificing their bodies, the heavy toll and the condensed schedule, 
and basically living this bubbled life, which a lot of people have been living this year, to, to be fair. But I just think for what they're used to, the rigors of the physical toll, it's tough, man. I, I don't envy it, but there's there's some leg offensively that a guy like Norman Powell, sure, he breaks through, but he only breaks through for himself. I talked about this with Blake on the pod that I guess if you're listening now, you'll hear it shortly or like tomorrow or whatever, but Norm doesn't really create. He There's self-creation is usually tied into event creation, but not for Norm. There isn't really event creation. It's just if he's creating a shot, it's probably going to be for himself. He's not creating for other teammates a lot. And it's made for a very disjointed offensive unit. And the Raptors, I think that was evident as ever against these these Rockets. So to that point, which is a good one, do you think it's a coincidence that the attention to offensive detail dipped with Chris Finch? That's a really good question. I don't think so. I, I, I you don't, don't think, think it's a so. coincidence? <sighs> well, that's the heavy sigh we need. We're all the heavy sighs, right? We should be sighing heavily on this podcast. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, I, I have to think about this. Do I think, not to this effect, I don't think, because the Raptors are hardly even operating as, like, they're operating as a very, very low-tier NBA offense currently. And I don't think Chris Finch being there for, he's been gone for what, two and a half weeks, three weeks, maybe a little bit longer. I don't think it makes that much of a difference. I was expecting it if the Raptors, because at that point they were rolling a little bit once they got into the playoffs. It's the the adjustments to those sets, like Chris Finch's pet sets, the horn stuff specifically, which he immediately started running in Minnesota as soon as he got there. That's clearly a pet set of his. And he has seminars that, you know, Evan Gualberto and I, we kind of, we highlighted in our preview for this season. Chris Finch loves to occupy the weak side. He has a bunch of stuff that works on that way too. And I don't think it's to this degree. Maybe they miss him a little bit, but I don't even know how often they're practicing at this point, right? Because it's such a condensed schedule. There's the all-star break, all that kind of stuff. I don't think the Finch thing is a big deal. I think it's more so this schedule is hell. Everybody's coming off of COVID, Pascal. Well, Fred said he had COVID. I'm not sure if Pascal or OG have acknowledged that, or maybe they didn't, who knows. But I think it's more so that stuff and just looking at their team after a very prolonged era of success and saying, maybe this is it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. It feels more correlative than causative. I mean, for them to just forget the playbook, he would have had to have had like a men in black, That's right. you know, <laughs> memory wipe. So you said at the end there, maybe this is it. What do you mean by that? Oh, good golly. Uh, yeah, maybe guys are sitting on Wednesday. You know what I mean? Like maybe Norman Powell, maybe Kyle Lowry, maybe they don't dress. That's a possibility. Now, it doesn't have to be the strongest possibility. It doesn't have to be a likelihood. But this could be the end. And the trade deadline looms closer and closer. The Raptors, they have said that they don't plan on trading Kyle. That's been reported through other means. But it's also been reported that there are rumors for him. There has been a report that Norm is more than likely gone. 
and there's a lot of stuff floating around and you don't have to believe everything, but I think there's a strong sense that given the direction they're headed, given the lack of mobility that they would have if they tie themselves to a certain ceiling, let's say, they might make moves. And that's um, actually what my piece I'm writing, The Gamer, the reason why this is late is because I had to do media and Samson was kind enough to wait for me. And the piece I'm writing about the stories I chased, the questions I asked, were all about that very same theme. I, I agree. I think this is the end. And to usurp your hosting chair, do you think you would be saying that if they had beaten Houston? Yeah. I Which is why. Yeah. I agree, right? Absolutely. Which is why I think they lost. They know this is the end, win or lose. And so what are you even doing in the game? That's very, very cute of you. You, you walked me right into that one. That's, Lewis, and, that's hosting, baby. It. Little lesson <laughs> for you. The aristocrats, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I, I agree with that 100%. What is the motivation, really? Now, when they finally, when everything, when the dust is settled, Maybe there's, you know, there's a new leash on life. Leash on life. Leash. What the hell am I saying leash for? That's the second time. When's the last time you walked? Oh. Today. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, of course I walked them today. Yeah, I never walk my dog. But anyway, yeah, new leash on life. And I got to tell you, maybe they can reclaim some sense of importance. And that's Pascal, Fred, and OG, who I think it's safe to assume are all safe and are all comfy with whatever iteration the Raptors have going on for the rest of this season and presumably beyond. It's maybe things get a little bit more interesting for them and end of roster guys, but I think that team is probably expecting to look different in a few days, if not tomorrow or the day after. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you can tell. You can tell. I asked. Nick, tonight, my question was, um, you know, given the losing streak, does the fact that the trade deadline is so close add, you know, more of a mental toll? He said no. Um, You know, he hasn't seen guys talk about it. He would. Yeah, of course (laughs) he would. And Michael Grange asked the same question to Fred. And Fred gave the same answer, you know, basically no. Um, They both left room for individuals to be thinking about it, but it's not a team-wide conversation. Uh, but, but the fact of the matter is we can see it, you know, we can see it happening. And Grange is to me, one of the most plugged in guys along with Bruce Arthur and Mark Stein. I think the three are the most plugged in insiders to the Raptors organization. Uh, and Grange wrote that they're not trading Lowry and Stein wrote that they are willing to, uh, and it just, you can see the empire crumbling before your eyes. And maybe they don't trade them, you know? And and then that's what I wanted to ask. Like, maybe the team is the same a week from today. Uh, what does the rest of the season look like? Is it is it as depressing as this game? Because this game to me was rock bottom. It was the lowest I've seen the Raptors play since, I don't know, maybe Turk was in the lineup. Like, is that what this season is if they don't make trades? Well, it depends on how you're able to frame things in your mind, right? Because different fans, well, different people have different looks on certain things. Maybe this is a bailout question, but 
it certainly isn't things don't exist in a vacuum and fans like a sense of momentum with their teams if you're losing are the players progressing upwards at least like is what is the opportunity cost for these players to get better is it losses is there a future we can look forward to hell yeah fine we're losing some games but with the raptors you're looking at a core that was on its face very very good for a very long time and you're looking at a core of three guys who are young but all profile as very good winning players yet they're attached to this team that is very bad and losing games yeah how do you how do you work that through in your mind right because that's why i think it would be that's why the treadmill teams are tough if they fall out of the playoffs that's when you see fan bases are like oh my god what is this but when they're they're competing and you get to go to games and stuff like that and who's to say D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, all those guys slip in as the Brooklyn Nets and they they play a six game series and everybody's like these guys are young there's a sense of momentum that gave the fans hope even outside of like maybe some big stars come here and they had to trade or sign and trade D'Angelo to get one of them. Like they sold off a piece of that young core that gave people hope and they got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving who basically didn't play at all last year, but they still had the future to look forward to. Yeah. With the Raptors, if they don't make a move, you're looking at guys that Lowry, Norm, how do you retool this current roster better than you have it right now if you're re-signing both of those guys? Is Tampa that much of a damper on the play? How do we even, how do we make this work in our minds as it's the sense of momentum? And if they just keep the same and say, we're going to run it back, we're going to do all this kind of stuff, you're saying maybe this is the wrong type of momentum. But, you know, it doesn't have to exist like that. Some people would be happy to just assume I'm going to watch Kyle Lowry in Toronto next year and I'm going to cheer him super loud. And maybe some analysts quietly will too up on media row, right? Something like that. Yep. But for most people, I don't think it is that way. I think most people need something a little bit more concrete and that is more related to on-court performance. I'm going to answer your rhetorical question there. Is Tampa that much of a damper on their play? Let's, you know, consider like a, another quantum universe where all is the same without COVID and the Raptors are playing in Toronto right now and everything else identical. Do you think they're a bad team? I, I don't. I don't think we'd be discussing trading Norm or Kyle. I think I would be discussing trading Norm. I, I okay. wouldn't be discussing okay, sure. trading Kyle. You, you and I might be a little bit far apart on Norm, which is fine, but... Because I was I was part of the group that was trade norm at the start of near the draft, and I know you weren't. And that's a that's, detail, though. But the but the main idea, I don't think they'd be considered a seller. No, it's it's very surprising that they are. And I look at this team. That's why I said with the core, and of course you can add Lowry to that. You look at those four guys, and you can you can't say anything other than winning players, and they make up half of what would be a playoff rotation, you say that is half of a really good playoff rotation. 
how do we make that work? And the Raptors have not been able to make that work this year, or at least lately, I should say. And maybe even like I, I haven't been in the past reaction podcast, but maybe tonight for tonight, just glossing over like COVID is a super big deal for some people. For some people, it's not, but it very well could be affecting guys to this point. And part of the poor performance could be tied into that. But it's just the Raptors are going so far downhill as far as encore performance that a lot of people are having a tough time separating what they're seeing on court from their idea of what a good team is. Because every night, sorry, not every night, every game they come out and produce something that is like the antithesis of what you expect from these players. And a lot of that is tied into how the roster has been constructed, the lack of diversity on the bench, and a very specific type of diversity that is necessary, shot creation. And on top of that, they have not been able to fill out their big man position, so that is required, I would say, makeshift front court lineups, and that also makes their wings weaker, and they're asking guys who don't create shots to come in and make shots. But the guys who do create shots have a heavier burden than ever. One of them is aging. One of them is 35. And one of them doesn't create layups or shots at the rim. And so the Raptors have this very unique roster construction that contains many good players in it, but just is locked. There's a gridlock a little bit with how it's working right now. So, I mean, yes, I'd expect they'd be a fine team next year. But I don't think the team they would be next year would be worth it for the lack of mobility financially that they would have as far as ceiling. So, yeah, I just, I can't get over that distance, that gap you spoke about, what we expect versus what we see. And this Houston game was such a stark piece of evidence uh, in terms of that gap and everything you just described, I, I agree with. I think it's all very accurate uh, and intelligent and thoughtful ways to describe the strategic difficulties that the team faces. And yet, I still don't think it explains this season. Uh, I think there's just there's more to basketball than basketball, and mm-hmm. uh, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it right now. And, and I mean, at the start of this loss losing streak you know guys were were upset were struggling and now they're facing media and they seem mellow they're not as furious as they were five losses ago and that isn't good you know that they players who fred aside i should say because fred just had a unbelievable game but players who have spent their entire careers winning in the NBA. Also, like this is the longest losing streak in the entire careers of OG and Fred and Pascal and Norm. And these guys who've spent their entire careers winning just went against a team on a 20-game losing streak expecting to lose. And none of the holes on the roster can explain that. Yeah, that's salient point is that there is more going on, as you say, than the basketball. But, and this is not fandom, this is not analyst, this is what I expect the organization to look at it as. They probably don't care much. 
because <laughs> yeah, a loss is a loss, and each loss creeps you closer to the end of the runway of this year and the end of the runway to improve or shake things up for the future. And which is the, yeah, there's a calculus there, definitely. Which is but what makes this season so. You know, fine in the long run because the NBA is socialism for the rich and, you know, you do bad, you suck it up for a year and there ought to be a pretty nice shiny reward at the end in terms of very good rookie, right? Like if they keep losing, they're going to get a player we haven't seen in Toronto for a long time. Yeah, you would think. But that's that's the interesting part about this too, I think, is like you and I obviously think very highly of the trio of OG, Pascal, and Fred, let's assume one ver- one timeline, it's those three. There's a collection of people who come back via trades with Norm and Kyle. That team might stumble into a winning record from there on out. And if it's Kyle and Norm who have stayed stuck around and the fog of the trade deadline is gone, they might also win they might also have a positive record going forward like they can recollect themselves that's a possibility and then you're not looking at a a type of player or a blue chip prospect perhaps maybe that's you're stuck in the middle which is you know i think a fear for some people well maybe not a fear just it's it's not usually that serious but it's just something that they look at and they wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night terrified yeah, of the lack of exactly asset it. collection. I mean, this year, this is the last year. It it does seem not a coincidence that the year that Toronto loses out on Giannis after five years of planning to sign him. I mean, the team was building for five years to have a chance to sign him. They don't even get a chance. And then all of a sudden, like magic, they have this other path to a blue chip asset. That seems fortuitous, even though all of the path to get there is extraordinarily painful. Yeah. Because it's the I only think... path to assets, right? There was no other way they were going to get an asset other than what we're watching right now. Yeah. It's, if they were a really good team this year and everything worked out perfectly, they would have had two non-guaranteed contracts in Baines and Boucher and let's say they're both even better versions of themselves than what they are now especially Baines they would just guarantee those contracts and have to try and run it back again because they would be and Norm would get a contract and that that would be the team most likely and they'd hope for guys to develop at the end of the bench if they could but losing is the one way in the NBA to assure that you get to pick somewhere near the top of the draft and the top of the draft, especially this year, appears to be quite interesting. And the Raptors haven't been near it. The fans haven't been near it for some time. And this is a Rockets reaction podcast. And <laughs> here we are. Well, that game had nothing to talk about, man. Okay, here's a question. What was the lowest moment in that Rockets game? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't describe it, but John Wall was like not walking on his toes, but like scooting his heels up court. And then, and did it for the length of like 30 feet, and then turned on the Jets and threw up a wild alley oop to, I believe, Christian Wood that almost went down, but he got fouled. And I was like, this dude is dancing up the court 
in the midst of a 20 game losing streak but he feels it the end coming and he's like let me dance on these raptors i was like oof that's tough <laughs> like that's was not like, good it was like the sweep that was just like that that washington playoff series when wall did the same yeah he yeah that's bradley beal john wall they they put a hurting on the raptors in that 2015 four game series and oddly enough, Pascal Siakam was the guy guarding Wall for a long time in the series in, what was it, 2017, where the Raptors got their revenge. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it just speaks to how fast things can change and, you know, how fleeting some things are in the NBA. Because for that moment, John Wall was like, hell yeah, I'm living it up. And Christian Wood in his uh, post-game interview was like, this is great. We played as a team. And it was all about... And it was like, you know, you check the box, those types of answers with media. But it's still, you get that sense that the guys are like, we're together now. And the Raptors, you know, disjointed, not only as the prospective look to where they might be in a few days, but in the encore performance. Yeah. All they need is 11 more losses and they'll play like a team then. Yeah, that's exactly it. That, the fix is right over there. You just have to be willing to to get through the pain to get to it. But uh, do you have any other thoughts on this game before we get out of here? This this will be my longest reaction podcast ever, by the way, <laughs> under my tenure. You know and I know that we could go for another hour on this whole thing. So yeah. uh, I'll, I'll keep it here brief, brief for us. Uh, no, man, no thoughts. That was a a painful game. And I think a moment where we peeked behind the veil in terms of we saw the long-term trends, you know, taking shape in front of our eyes. Yeah. Uh, my Reggie Evans Award winner is Fred Van Vliet. I thought compete level is, as far as the guys on the Raptors, I thought his was the greatest. But okay, top quick reaction comment, Lewis. We'll, we'll do this and uh, then we'll get out of here. From MZ, quote, in my opinion, at this point, all trades should be geared toward gaining the best assets with the highest future ceilings. This season is a write-off, and nothing will change that. All my earlier hopes of a magic defensive center that banished Baines to the far reaches of Pineville have been utterly dashed. This team doesn't have it anymore. Also, man, does this team's defense suck without OG, end quote. Any thoughts on that off the, off the jump? I mean, seems fairly reasonable. I was expecting it to be a little more critical of the guys. And I mean, they don't deserve criticism. They deserve compassion right now for the situation they're facing. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a very reasonable take. Um, and similar to what we've been saying this whole, this whole pod, right? Mm -hmm. Also, maybe we have beef with Zarrar because he gave um, Fred a lower grade than Pascal. And he gave Fred a C plus for that game, which is the same as Boucher, who had four points and 10 rebounds. Interesting. I have it, <laughs> no explanation that Fred just... It is what it is. <laughs> have words. We'll have words with them. I'll wow, text him yeah, once Fred, we're off the pod. Fred was good. That's a, that's a puzzling grade. Fred was... I guess one, it was literally, you know, the Battle of 300 or whatever, where the guy with the abs and all the other the, the guy with more abs than all the others tried to make the one man stand <laughs> like that's what fred just did i mean it was everyone gave up but one dude like i like that that's how you sort them it's like who had the most abs here 
And yeah, uh, he had ten. Leonidas. A lot of Leonidas. them had eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leonidas, exactly. Uh, Gerard Butler, the ugly truth. Uh, I'm gonna read his IMD page, IMDb page now. Yeah, MZ, uh, you've been the top comment before. I believe I enjoyed it. Then I enjoy it now. A uh, well take, what's well taken, well took, whatever it is. The point. I take it in and I agree with it. It's uh, the team is in a really tough spot, and if you can get assets, which players aren't assets, they're real people. And we should all remember that this is just efficient communication terms, but uh, agreed. And yeah, the Raptors, I don't know if they have means to get that center that helps this team get to the next level. Because as I've said many times before, good centers are usually on good teams because they're way more important than people think in the NBA today. They're still extremely important. The post, Lewis. Still quite prevalent in today's NBA, if anybody wants to go <laughs> subscribe to Minute Basketball, where last week we wrote about the post and the people who operate in there. Lewis, any last words before we get out of here? Hey, man, this has been fun. I, when we you know, decided to do this together, I've been looking forward to this. It sort of was a light at the end of the tunnel of whatever the heck that game was. So thank you so much, man. It's been a very nice way to cap off the night. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I have probably like four hours of podcast editing, video editing to do after this. So I still have to I'm, write my gamer. It's not a capper of the night. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, okay, Lewis, thank you very much, listeners. Thank you for sitting in on a you know roughly forty minute, little bit over that reaction podcast. I hope you listened to it all. I hope you enjoyed it. But thanks for tuning in. And uh, yeah, whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.